This morning's scripture is from Esther, chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces knew that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai that what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to the royal dignity for such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. 945. How are you this morning? Will you just give God thanks with me? (laughs) Come on, Ebenezer. I am so grateful to, uh, to, to share this uh, message with you this morning. Uh, again, this is one of my favorite uh, stories in scripture. Um, it's about a woman who rises in leadership, who has some struggles. She experiences some things, uh, but then God is there all along. And so uh, I dropped you right dead center in the middle of scripture with this unit, but um, I- I'll help you all out and we can uh, journey together through the scripture. Uh, before we do that, though, I got to uh, tell you about something that struck me this week. Um, not only did it strike me, but it actually had me laughing for about three or four days. Uh, there was a post that went viral on social media, actually across all platforms, social, um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it was made by uh, author Robert, uh, um, uh, Michael Frost. If you've not heard of that name before, Michael Frost is a Christian thinker. He's a Christian leader, author, and writer on Christian thought, theology, and Christian mission. Um, in the Christian world and the world of faith, he's considered a missiologist, a person who studies Christian mission, a person who studies Christian movement in and around the world. So not only here in the United States, but abroad. So this, this guy, I admire a lot of his work. He, write, he, he writes on Christian mission, and he makes this post. Uh, this week. And I got to tell you, uh, it affected on me, just, just had me laughing for about three or four days. So here was the post that uh, Michael Frost made this week. Take a look at this image. So if you see, there is about 16, there are, there are about 16 pictures. It's a grid with uh, people represented on it. 
And if you look closer, uh, you will begin to see that these people have some things in common. Uh, right off the bat, you will see that they are a leader or they have influence of some sort. You've probably seen them in movies. You've seen them on TV. Uh, you've seen, perhaps have read about them in books. So they, they, they're leaders of some sort. The, the second thing that you may notice about these people is that they are self-proclaiming Christians. Get a good look at this grid. Get a good look at this grid. 16 self-proclaiming Christians and people of faith. What, what struck me about this post was not the post itself, although I, I found it vaguely interesting. But it was the comment section, because the comment section, if anybody knows, is the juiciest part of every post. <laughs> so I grabbed my popcorn and my coffee and I headed for the comment section. <laughs> and I began to scroll to, to see what other people thought about this grid. So the caption that Michael Frost wrote was, Christians, we all are different. No, we are not all the same. We are not all the same. And so starting off, I said, you know what? That's right, Michael Frost. We are not all the same. That's right. We're all called to God's work. But then my humanity sat in and I began to take a deeper look and I began to fine tooth comb this picture. And I zoomed in a little bit and I said, well, let me see who really belongs and who doesn't. That's my humanity that set in. I said, well, Martin Luther, absolutely. A man who led boldly trying to reform the church, seeking to do something new in the Christ- for, as a Christian movement in the world. He's bringing and inspiring new things in our, in our world. He's setting the church straight. He even uses the printing press to, to, to get the gospel message out to the world. What a powerful man for a powerful Christian movement. Go ahead, Martin Luther. Go ahead. And then I looked, I said, well, there's some other great Christians that have, that have participated in some pretty good missions. You got Martin Luther King Jr. there. He led this social revolution of the modern day civil rights movement during the 1950s and 60s. I'm like, man, God, you've got some good Christians, some good people of faith who've led some good stuff in this world. I said, Mother Teresa, she's there too. Oh, look at that. So sweet. She cares for children and she had her own unique calling in life. And then my humanity began to set in more and more. And then I began to look at people like Justin Bieber. (laughs) That's interesting. Joel Olsen, are you kidding me? (laughs) Dolly Parton, (laughs) you all are going to argue with me with that. Again, that's my humanity that sat in. I wasn't the only one who had those same thoughts. Here's what the comment section said. I just wanted to read some. So Carl Hotcoke said, with that lineup, it's almost as if Christian faith depends on needing a savior rather than being perfect or acceptable before God in our own strength. Interesting. Here's what someone else said. David Meyer said, I am cool with the rest of these people, but get Justin Bieber the blank off my Facebook page right now. I added that. (laughs) That's what he said. Here's what some, some other people said. Michael Frost replied back to Katrina Harper and said, none of us are perfect, of course, including all of the people pictured and everyone else. Perhaps there is more there's more bristling at Osteen, Joel Osteen, because he unbanishedly preaches prosperity gospel, taking advantage and exploiting other people's pain. 
for his gain. Not necessarily uncommon in religious circles, but perhaps different intentions and actions when compared to what most people see of the fruit of others that you pictured. And then here's my favorite from Bobby, but at least we all can agree on Dolly. (laughs) Come on, uh, Ebenezer Church, you gotta love the comment section. It's where it all goes down. It's where it all happens. (laughs) No. My humanity sat in, and I'm sure me, like other people's, their humanity sat in as we begin to determine who belonged in a movement or God, in, in a movement of, of God or not. Who really had a place to determine God's will, to lead in God's mission, to, to make some movement according to God's plan in the world? The first thing we do, or first thing I did at least, was begin to pick out people who had the most flaws, who were imperfect, if you will. People who had too many imperfections to identify as people who could really lead a mighty movement of God in this world. And I wasn't alone. You see, the truth is, I think it's very possible for us to allow the imperfections of others or even in our own lives, the imperfections of ourselves to get in the way of what God truly seeks to do in this world and what God truly seeks to do in us and what God is doing or really seeks to do in the lives of others. But the truth is we all are imperfect. And the other truth to that is that we are, despite our imperfections, despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings, despite where we find ourselves in life, can still be called to God's purpose and God's work. We still can lead a mighty movement. We still can do justice for people in this world. We still can take up space and make movement in the world. Which brings us to the scripture that was read for us today in Esther. I find Esther interesting because I think that this couldn't be more true of what Esther is going through or what Esther steps into or is, or is experiencing. If you've not read the book of Esther, I encourage you to go and read it. I think it's a really uh, fascinating read. Many people may uh, look at it as sort of a soap opera or a drama that just continues to unfold. I will admit it's a pretty layered story. I'll try to tighten it for you today. Um, but it's a really interesting story. I encourage you to read it. So Esther is a woman who, of course, who, who again, as I've mentioned, rises to power, but by unlikely means. Uh, during this particular time in history, King Xerxes, uh, he was the king of Persia during this day. He has uh, other names, uh, King Xerxes or King Ahirehes or Artaxerxes, three different names, a Persian name, and he has a Greek name too. So th- this king that exists is, is super powerful of his age, during his time, during his day. Um, he is the most revered king during his time. He's very well respected and he demands, in fact, a lot of respect from Persians and demands a lot of respect from Jews that were dispersed in Persia during the time. Well, King Xerxes had a wife. His, her name was, his name, that's so funny. Her name was, her name was Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti. And King Xerxes, because he was so super great and powerful, because the, he had defeated a lot of the colonies and a lot of the regions that the Persian Empire had taken over, he felt really good about himself. He felt really empowered in, in his leadership. He thought that he perhaps had been the, perf- the most perfect leader. He thought that he had made it all. We got all the money. We got all the possessions. 
We're rocking. We are good. So he decides to throw this almost year-long celebration for all of the wealth that he's accumulated, he and his royal courts. He throws a party. It lasts for about um, uh, a couple months to a year. And he asks during one of these party for parties for his wife to come and to do a little ballet for him, <laughs> to put on a show, to entertain him. Well, Queen Vashti, his wife, is not pleased about this. And in fact, she doesn't want to do it. So she declines his offer, his invitation for the queen, his wife, to come and dance for him and all the other men and people that were present at this party. And when she denies this because of his position, because of of his authority and not wanting to be challenged in any type of way, not wanting to be uh, 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 spoken against, not wanting uh, people to push back on his authority, he decides to dethrone the queen, his wife, because she refuses to dance for him. It's so interesting. So she says, I'm not going to dance. So he says, well, if you're not going to dance for me and these people, if you're not going to provide for them tonight's entertainment, you'll be dethroned. So he does that. He dethrones his wife, dethrones dethrones the queen, and he goes on a search for a brand new queen, a perfect queen who would sit in this perfect position, who would be beautiful and who would be perfect in beauty would be perfect in honor, would be perfect in respect. So he takes, he uh, administers, administers this national search for a brand new queen, and he puts out word in his region, this national search, and he comes up with Esther, among lots of other women who entered into uh, this pageant, this contest, they, they applied. Esther um, is a Hebrew woman. She's a Jew. Uh, She also is an orphan in her day. And her dad, Mordecai, who also shows up in the story, is her step-in parent. So he's her godfather. So he steps in, provides care for her, um, encourages her to enter into this contest, and she eventually wins the contest. But he's an aide. He's a guide to her all throughout this time. Well, Esther, when she becomes queen, realizes real quickly that she's stepping into a quite imperfect situation, that she's not stepping into a situation where she would lead powerfully or she would that, that her time spent as, as queen would be done, will be done with ease. But there are some challenges that's happening that that's happening in the royal court. With among the chiefs, there are some things that's brewing up here. This is not a perfect situation that she's being called to. This is not a perfect situation that she's entering into. The situation that she finds herself in is a quite is a quite interesting one. So Esther finds herself um, in the in the midst of two people who disagree with each other. Uh, Haman, the the king's uh, a, a court official. He's a, a high a governmental official uh, for the king. He has this strife with the king and eventually hashes out a plan to kill the king. But he's also, Haman, a little puffed up about himself. You see, he probably wants to be the king, right? He has this attitude, this disposition, this place of sort of insecurity where he doesn't want people to challenge him either. He doesn't want people to not acknowledge his presence as a court official, as a leader in this kingdom. In fact, when he would go out into the court outside of uh, the, the, the kingdom, he would almost require for people to bow down every time he either walked past or they came into his presence. And when anyone did not, they would be killed or they would be um, jailed for any particular reason or for this reason particular, for not honoring him, for not worshiping uh, the, the, the chief priest of government. 
And this was true of the king as well. You see, these men, these men had lots of insecurities, had lots of insecurities. They were perhaps insecure. They were perhaps dealing with something in themselves and, and felt the need to overcompensate for their power and their position. It, it says it even in the text. It says that when the king, when someone would come into the presence of the king, he would hold out the scepter or the staff to them. And if he wanted to, he could tell them to speak or to present a request or not. And he would honor it before them. Everything he did was about his own power, his, his own ability to cause, to cause people to bow before him or to acknowledge his, his great rule at that time. And so it reminded me of three things that I think this entire series as we've been preaching through it, uncovering the lives of imperfect people or people, who we, people whose lives who we see imperfections in, that, that, that three things are very clear when it comes to, when we, when it comes to us finding ourselves in imperfect situations, but then also realizing that we're not too good ourselves, that we're in fact undone and we are in constant need of God's work in our lives too. That that's a fact of life. Esther finds herself in this place. That she's going into a situation where the hand of God, a movement of God, needs to take place. Because the king and his officials are getting ready to hash out a plan to kill the Jews of his day. The, Jew, the Jewish uh, step-in parent Mordecai did not bow. So they, they planned this, this genocide to get rid of the people. And then Esther, the queen who is also Jewish, finds herself in this position where she has to advocate for people and then also face a very insecure king. And so she does it. She finds herself, imperfect herself, in an imperfect situation, having to lead in an imperfect situation. There's lots of imperfect things about leadership. There are lots of imperfect things about people. The important thing, just like when I reviewed this post today, is to remember that in the midst of or in spite of the imperfections we see in leadership or in others or in our own lives, that there's potential for God to still be at work. In the book of Esther, you really don't see uh, the name of God mentioned. In fact, you don't see the name of God mentioned at all. You could fact check that. You don't see the name of God mentioned, but what you do see, and I think it's interesting on the writer's part, is that the writer crafts this entire book showing us God's providence, showing us God's loving care, God's prevenience throughout the dealings of the king and the queen and the king's leaders as they're getting ready to plan an attack on the Jews and as she's getting ready to step in to advocate for these people. So she does. So she does. Why? Because in the midst of imperfect situation, God can still, God's work can still be done. I want to share three things with you that I think um, is, is beneficial as we have uncovered the lives of imperfect people, but that as we consider the life of Esther today, number one, that we are undone and we are in need of God's constant work in our lives, and that we are not perfect and that we should not hide the things that are imperfect about ourselves. When I graduated college, um, I worked for, and when I, while I was in transition um, to this really nice job that I loved, I worked for a beauty supply store. Um, and this woman would oftentimes come in, oftentimes come in um, to buy makeup and all sorts of things um, for her face and for her nails and skin. Um, and she was always very happy to, to buy these products. 
And so uh, one day, um, I think, you know, throughout the course of maybe three months, I would see her at least every week. So there wasn't a week that had gone by that I didn't see um, this particular woman. She came in all the time. She frequented this beauty supply store. Yes, I worked at a beauty supply store. It was actually a lot of fun. (laughs) You learn all about makeup and (laughs) whatever people need. So this woman, she would come in often and she would buy her makeup and I would say, oh, you got this new makeup. She'd say, yeah, I'm trying something new. Or she would buy a new lipstick or she would buy a new this or a new that. And it was noticeable uh, and and she would make mention that she had um, obvious skin uh, problems, that she had issues with her skin. And she would always try to find solutions, but her first solution was to cover it all up. She realized that that was probably something about herself that she couldn't accept, that for her it was an imperfection. And so she would always say, well, I'm just trying to cover it up because, you know, my skin, Donovan, you know, I'm trying to cover up that thing. But then this one day, something struck me when she walked in and she did not have makeup on. She came in, she didn't have makeup on, and um, she came to the counter before she went um, out into the aisles. And she said, hey, Donovan, I, I, I got a question for you. Do you recommend any skincare products? Because I want to work on my skin. I said, yeah, I could, I could recommend a few things. And so while checking her out, she said she laid her hand on the counter and she said, I just wanted to tell you that instead of buying makeup to cover up these imperfections, I've decided to take and turn over a new leaf in life. Instead of trying to cover up these things because it makes it worse, I'm going to deal with the skin issue. I'm going to deal with the thing that's deeper than what's on the surface. She said, so that's why I'm not in here buying makeup today. I know I come and buy makeup all the time, but I'm going to focus on my skin because that's the deeper issue. That's the the root issue. I said, well, well, good for you. Good for you. I could recommend more products or I'm happy to take this journey with you if you if, if you need to. She was serious about not, at that moment, not covering up her imperfections, not acknowledging the fact that there are things about herself that she can't accept. Until we have reached a place in life where we can live open to how that may become a strength to us in our lives, to to accept the fact that we are imperfect, but something can still be done about it. Something can still be done with it. That we're not perfect. God can still use us. And that by covering our imperfections only makes matters worse. But that when we live open to God, when we live open to what God can do in our lives with us, with our imperfections, It provides more opportunities for God to be put on full display in our lives. Paul makes that clear in the New Testament. He says that as he used the words of Christ, my grace is sufficient. It is in weakness and imperfection. It's in shortcomings that God's glory, that God's power, that God's love, that God's fruit is put on full display in our lives. That's the place where we find strength. That's where I get my strength, when I rely on God, even while having imperfections. Why? Because God can still use us despite our shortcomings. The second thing is our thinking has to change when it comes to what's important to God. You see, in the scripture, Esther knew full well what was important. She knew the matter at hand. And that was making sure the lives of the Israelites, the, 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 the Jews of this day that were dispersed throughout Persia, that their lives were spared from the hand of a king who was leading out of his imperfections, but in really crazy ways. Who was using the, the not so good end of his, imperf- of his imperfect self. 
Because when we're leading out of ourselves, especially when we're imperfect, we know that we can do a lot of harm to people if we're not relying on God to help us. So Esther knows that saving the people is the most important part of the job. And so she sends some people in her court and she sends her step-in parent to go and fast and to pray about how she would tell the king how to not kill or how to not, by genocide, get rid of her own, her own people because she's a Jew herself. So she says, fast for me, pray for me for how I should approach. Seek the Lord, seek God on how I should approach the king so that I can advocate for people, so that I could be a part of this movement of God, so that I could do something good still, so that I could take up space, so that I could lead mightily, so that God's work can still be done, because God loves God's people. And maybe I'm called for such a time as this with my imperfect self. Maybe I'm called in this moment to be that person to advocate for them. And maybe I'm that wife to King Xerxes to stand up to him, and to show him a different way and all the imperfections that he's dealing with and in the midst of the imperfect situation that we're in. Then the third thing, to always realize that God is always present. Despite the myriad of glitches and problems in our lives, that God is right there. Again, the name of God isn't mentioned at all in the book of Esther. But what we can see is God, God's hand at work still, even without the name of God being mentioned. When we look into situations that are imperfect, even ourselves, I think there's room to still um, look and see God's grace. God's good thing that God created, because after all, we've created in God's image. And in the midst of that, we can still see ourselves how God sees us. That we don't have to be perfect. We can still wrestle. We can still deal with some things. But God still chooses to use people who are imperfect to, fill, to fulfill imperfect. And in, I mean, it's, use imperfect people to fulfill a perfect will in the world. So what's the point, Pastor Donovan? I'm glad you asked, 945. That the story of God consistently transforming the world through imperfect people in imperfect times is a real thing. And remember, God can meet you where you are. God meets us where we are in the midst of what we're doing, in the midst of who we are, to make sure that God's purpose and plan is fulfilled in the world. So can we lead movements like these people here? Sure we can with imperfections. And even like the people who we've uncovered throughout this entire sermon series, yep, we can lead too, just like them. And we don't have to do anything about it, but just live open to who God calls us to be and what God wants to do in us. Amen? Amen.